Hey everybody, I'm your host Cole Morganti, and you're listening to the Came Unto Christ podcast. We talk about Jesus, Joseph Smith, and everything concerning Mormonism and Christianity. We don't think they're the same, but we want to bring the true gospel of grace to Latter-day Saints. No matter your faith background, thank you for listening to today's episode, and I hope you learned something. But cozy up as we talk about the most important things in life, and I leave you with this, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Thanks for listening. All right, so, oh, you're okay. Sorry, my wife just walked in. And but we're uh, figuring things out. But what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Came Unto Christ podcast. I'm your host, Cole Morganti, as you heard in the intro. And today is a very special episode. And that is because we have, um, you probably know her best as the author of Unveiling Grace, uh, former BYU professor, former Latter-day Saint, now born-again Christian, Dr. Lynn Wilder. And so um, I want Lynn to introduce herself. So Lynn, uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself for those that don't know? Cole, thank you so much for doing this. You know, people often ask me to tell my testimonies, which I will kind of roll through quickly, but people don't often ask me like the professional aspects of my life. So I'm kind of known for two things. When I had a career in higher ed, I was known internationally and I was a journal editor for a multicultural journal that was international. Mm. And um, I have on my own 60 some research articles that are out there. Most people know me because I left Mormonism and came to biblical faith. But a few years ago, Corey Miller and I co-edited a book called Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds. Mm. And in that book, I kind of melded my career with what I'd learned about Mormonism. And so it's a more academic approach. And I don't get asked about this very often. So I'm kind of excited about being able to talk about these things with you. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I I was kind of thinking because, so you know James, my father-in-law, yeah. and he got us in contact. And I was thinking, I'd love to have Lynn on. And I was thinking how, you know, what could it be? You know, she's had so many interviews about unveiling grace. And I was like, I wonder if there's something else. And I, I remember I had leaving Mormonism on the shelf and I knew that you were a part of it. And I said, okay, you know, this, this has Corey Miller in it. And, and I, I work for Ratio Christi. And so I was like, this, this has to be, you know, a good work. And so I went in and went to your section and I saw just the title, the social consequences of Mormonism. And immediately I thought, wow, this would be great to discuss because for me, what I've learned about my audience and, the, and those listening is that um, not only do we want to know how Mormonism works, you know, what are the beliefs and, and, and what do they imply and what are the differences between biblical Christianity and Mormonism, but also what are the people going through mm-hmm. and, and, and how mm-hmm. can that affect someone? For me, one of the most fascinating things is my wife being ex- Mormon ex Latter Day Saint, and um, just hearing what hit me the most is just hearing 
the outworkings more so than even just the beliefs, you know, for her, a huge thing was just as an example was she never had assurance where she was going after she died. And she, and she, all she wanted to do was be with Jesus. And, and so that was a huge thing for her. And so um, I love that we're able to talk about this. And just for those that don't know, uh, I have the books here, some of them. So this is um, probably your best known work. This is Unveiling Grace, um, the story of how we found our way out of the Mormon church. This is by Dr. Lynn Wilder. And this is, you know, your testimony. And I just first off want to say when I first got that book, I mean, I couldn't put it down. I was canceling plans with friends to finish it. I mean, it was just you have to turn every page. Um, and then for those that don't know the leaving Mormonism book, it looks like this, if you want to buy it on Amazon. So why four scholars change their minds. So this is a unique work. And they talk about this in the introduction that this is the only work of, um, four scholars. I think four people who earned their doctorates, I believe, who have, who have experience in Latter-day Saint church left it and are now, um, believers in Jesus. And so it's something unlike anything else that you could read. And then also, um, I just want to also plug your son's book, uh, Passport to Heaven. So this is uh, Michael Wilder. This is your son. And um, he um, was a Latter-day Saint and became a believer as well. And this is his story on how that happened. And so for any of those um, that want to know, you can look that up. Uh, Unveiling Grace, Passport to Heaven. They're published by Harvest House, uh, but you can find them pretty much anywhere. And, uh, you know, Leaving Mormonism, you can also find on Amazon. So with that said, so before we start, um, Lynn, why don't, yeah, why don't you, did you say? <laughs> yeah, let me kind of comment on the books. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, The Unveiling Grace has been out 10 years and the publisher Zondervan, the largest Christian publisher in the world, told me that it has sold more every year than the year before. Wow. A testament to me that the that the Holy Spirit is working with mortals, mm. right? Many, many, many are leaving. Mm. Many never think to come to Christianity for the answers. And so yeah. this is our heart in that book. Micah's book, Passport to Heaven, just in the last couple of weeks, hit number one in Christian apologetics on Amazon, number oh, wow. one in Christian biographies. I think there were three categories. Mm. So that too is a testament to me yeah. that the Holy Spirit loves these people, is reaching mm out to these people. And then leaving Mormonism is the one we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Corey Miller approached me several years ago, and he had this idea to go worldwide and find all the professor types who had left Mormonism and come to biblical faith. Mm. We were thinking, oh, there must be hundreds of us out there, right? Yeah. We only, we found lots of folks with doctorates who'd left Mormonism, but mm. they've gone to atheism or agnosticism. Mm -hmm. They had not come to biblical faith. We only found six of us worldwide, if you can only imagine wow. that. No, One I, of them yeah. I, I knew pretty well from BYU, but mm -hmm. only four of us were willing to tell our stories and be public. Mm. Um, one of those other people had 10 children who were all still in the Mormon church and it was oh, wow. just too much for them to be public at the time. So mm -hmm. the four of us wrote our testimonies, but also um, wrote 
these things from our own professions and a scholarly point of view about what we've learned about Mormonism. And my background is my doctorate's in emotional and behavioral disorders. So I spent a lifetime working with people in um, gangs, drugs, inner cities, English as a second language, folks from dysfunctional families, mm-hmm. folks who'd been sexually uh, assaulted, those kind of things. And so I end up eventually getting slotted in the multicultural field, um, which was awesome. So you may not know this, but so in the 60s, right, we had, we passed the Civil Rights Act. Yep. So George Romney, Mitt Romney's dad, um, was in the Congress. Can't remember if he was Congress or House at the time. And one of the 12 apostles reached out to him and said, do not vote for the Civil Rights Act. Um, Mm -hmm. Mormons at the time, blacks could still not hold the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's just, anyway, during my senior year of high school, my own high school was shut down for race riots. There were all kinds of things happening in the late Uh, 60s and early 70s and so I had a heart for these things and I used to sneak out at night walk the two miles to the inner city and listen to black preachers on the corner talk about social justice and stuff Mm. how funny that a white woman then eventually gets slotted into the multicultural field (laughs) as it's just kind of evolving Well, here's Mm -hmm. the thing. In higher ed, we didn't have any diverse spaces to Mm -hmm. teach diversity or multiculturalism in the beginning. So in the beginning, those of us who did that in the early years were white folks with doctorate who had a heart for lots of different cultures. And so I was, you know, part of that kind of initial movement. Mm -hmm. And then eventually um, diverse Faces came into the field and then they kind of, you know, took over the field because those were their people and those were things they understood better than us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's my background. So when I got to BYU, I got hired right after I finished my doctorate in 1999 at Brigham Young University. Well, Brigham Young was kind of in trouble with their accrediting agency for a couple of things. One was they were not attending to diversity and they they were not trying to recruit diverse folks into BYU. Mm-hmm. And they were not teaching multiculturalism and they were in danger of losing their accrediting over that. Here was the other thing. When I came to BYU in 1999, I believe there were about 4,000 faculty members. Mm. Can you guess how many of those were female? Oof. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I don't think there were more than 40 of us. Oh, wow. So they were in a little trouble with their accrediting agency as well. Mm Mm-hmm for not having a 50-50 balance or at least close to it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is they were, BYU was paying their females much less with doctorates than they were their males. And Mm. so they were in some trouble for that. That was the scene when I got hired at Brigham Young and was brought on to Mm. teach, um, among other things, 
diversity. Mm -hmm. So in my very first class teaching diversity, I'm telling my students how exciting it's going to be. We're going to learn about all these different cultures that they probably don't know anything about and haven't mm -hmm. been into these neighborhoods before. Right. Yeah. And um, they're telling me, well, but they're not all equal. I'm mm. like, what the heck are mm -hmm. you talking about? Well, they're, they're telling me there's this thing called the curse of Cain. Mm. Now I hate to, <laughs> I hate to tell you how stupid I was. I'd never heard of the curse of Cain. Oh, okay. I grew up Christian, went into Mormonism, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the curse of Cain was. And yet my Mormon students knew very well what the curse of Cain was. Why? Because it says 26, 27 times in LDS scripture, the dark skin is a curse. Mm -hmm. But here's the funny thing. This girl that admitted it to me in my first class said, oh, the Bible teaches it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was Mormon and I didn't trust the Bible, I remember saying, oh, that stupid Bible, right? What yeah. crazy thing. Did I ever go open it to see what it said? No, because I didn't trust it. So mm -hmm. I didn't know whether it was trying to trick me or whatever. I wasn't going to read it out of the Bible. I just believed what she said. It was literally years after that, before I opened my own Book of Mormon and went, dark skin is a curse? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> So while I was at BYU, I was really super interested in these issues. And once I realized, mm. I was pretty much out of the church by the time I realized this horrific racist history in the church, mm -hmm. how blacks couldn't hold the priesthood, which meant they couldn't go to the highest heaven. They couldn't live with father in the next life. They could only be servants to a family mm -hmm. that was going to go to the highest heaven. Um all of those things had been hidden from me in mm. all those years of Mormonism. So we have lots of teachings like that, several of them mm -hmm. in Mormon scripture that are not true according to Christianity. In fact, they have really bad social consequences. So mm -hmm. uh, my field of emotional behavioral disorders is kind of between psychology and sociology. So I was mm -hmm. trained like in group counseling, but, mm -hmm. but not licensed to do individual counseling, right? Um, so I'm realizing that some of these teachings that I'm finding in Mormonism <laughs> mm -hmm have some long-term consequences that I've seen in people's lives that aren't good. And certainly racism is one of those, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I never believed the Mormon prophet was racist. He actually in 2006 general conference spoke against racism. I was mm -hmm. so excited to hear him do that, that I always, take notes as a researcher, right? I'm, I'm mm. typing up what the prophet's saying as I'm listening to him at general conference, I type it up. I put it on the front door of my BYU office. I'm so excited. He said something against racism. Mm. And the next morning, part of his talk is on the front page of the Deseret news, the mm. Mormon owned newspaper in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And what he had said that I had typed up had been changed it had been edited oh wow 
I was livid. Are you kidding me? Somebody like edits the prophet of the church because why? Mm-hmm. He's not supposed to be out there saying we're not racist. What? <laughs> anyway, God laid these issues on my heart. There was a man by the name of Darius Gray, African-American um, newsman, I believe, who joined the Mormon church and then uh, was the head of an organization called the Genesis Project. And um, Genesis, the purpose of Genesis was to help African-Americans join the Mormon church mm-hmm. and then become acclimated, you know, and yeah. And help them to understand that the racism was all behind them. But here was my problem on the Mormon website, the official mm-hmm. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints.org. It says the Mormon scriptures are pure truth and utterly reliable. Mm. So if that's what they say, and that's what you teach about them. Mm-hmm. And they say dark skin is a curse over and over. They say you're not supposed to racially intermarry, those kind of things. Then that's rocking my world because I can't believe that's the God of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if you wanted me to quickly tell my story in and out of Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I were raised nominal Christians. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know that according to the Pew Institute, 83% of people that join Mormonism come out of nominal Christianity. So these Mm -hmm. are people who have had some touch with faith, but they don't know their Bible. Mm -hmm. That was absolutely me. I don't think I could have told you. I knew Jesus died on the cross, but I didn't know what that meant Mm -hmm. or what that did for me or how life could be changed by regeneration. None of that did I understand Mm -hmm. growing up in the Presbyterian church. My husband didn't either. So when we'd been married about three years, we were looking for a church. Mormon missionaries knocked on our door. Hal Lindsey had just written the book, Late Great Planet Earth, kind of all about the last days in the book of Revelation, right? Mm -hmm. I was kind of, I mean, I always read everything that came out. So I was kind of interested in that. And these missionaries come in their badges, say the Church of Jesus Christ of Mm. Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And they say, we're the Latter-day experts. We know what's going to happen in the last days. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. We bought it. And we went right in, never knowing it it was that Mormonism was outside of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So this I would say to Christians, oh my, whenever I bear my testimony in churches, I always say I was in the Mormon church 30 years. Mm -hmm. My own Christian mother didn't come to my Mormon baptism, but she never told me why. Mm -hmm. I don't recall one time in 30 years that any Christian ever tried to have a conversation with me Mm. about who Jesus was, how salvation comes, Mm -hmm. things about Mormonism that might have been a little off, according to the Bible, and 
when at one point I finally read the New Testament and realized this isn't Mormonism, mm. this isn't even the same Jesus, right? That was mm -hmm. clear to me after a while. Why didn't anybody tell me? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't get anything else from this today, <laughs> I beg Christians to become an army of people who open their mouths and mm -hmm. let Mormons know the truth and love that this is not the same Jesus. This is not the same gospel, that there is one that's real. There is one that shows up. There is one that can save. There is one that can change your life, but it's not it's not the Jesus of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things when it comes to why we do came unto Christ and, and whatnot is where what we want to do is even just, if, if we can even just show the differences between the two sides and say, look, they both can't be right because right now there's this huge push right to see hey we're, we're all we're all under the same family yeah. we, we both have faith in christ you know i i just went to a uh, the saratoga springs temple opening last week and that's what and that's what the elder was telling us you know we we both have faith in christ and 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 that's what's great um but but every word matters when you're talking um not just to latter-day saints but even just people of other faiths you know every word matters so we got to define them and so i i just think that that's one of the those things that really needs to be focused on, right? If you're a Christian, if you're an evangelical, don't just assume that you hear someone's in the Mormon church and they believe in Jesus that, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, I, I didn't even know what a Latter-day Saint was until I was 19. I, I, I had never even encountered one. And then when I did, I just thought they they just do things a little bit fancier. Like, that's honestly what I that's yeah. honestly what I believed. So. No, the things that they teach and that are in their scriptures and mm -hmm. that are basic teachings of theirs have social consequences mm -hmm. that are not that are not good, even if you take out the spiritual aspect altogether. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of teaching something like dark skin is less than white skin, that has huge social consequences. That mm -hmm. is that is clearly racism. Mm -hmm. And it's not true according to the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time to actually read the Bible and go, whoa, that's not in here. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So Lynn, I guess, um, so as we move forward in this, so in your section, you mentioned some of the social consequences. And so why don't right now you mention a few of the ones that you wrote on, you know, you kind of touched on racism and then mm -hmm. just, if you could maybe talk about their outplaying a little bit. Yeah. The other one, the other big one really is polygamy, right? Mm -hmm. So, when I first left the Mormon church and my husband and I stepped into ministry about 2011, it seemed like every Mormon that was questioning their faith that talked to me seemed to have some kind of sexual abuse background. Mm. And my first thought was, oh, well, that makes sense. If they had that experience with within the cultural group, they're going to be fine to leave it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but as I dealt with more and more and more Mormons leaving their faith, I realized this sexual thing is big in this faith. Mm -hmm. So Doctrine and Covenants 132, 
right, literally does say that the righteous are going to live the new and everlasting covenant in the next life, which is polygamy. It's mm -hmm. very clear in DNC yeah. 132. And the Mormon church teaches that polygamy will also be lived during the millennium. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you know who Andy Poland is. Andy Poland left the Mormon church a few years ago and did his one of the early YouTube testimonies. And he tells mm -hmm. a story about how the idea of polygamy when he was Mormon got him looking at other women mm. so that he was wondering, wow, okay, I can't have a second wife now, although I could probably, you know, be sealed to somebody else in the temple. But I wonder what she'd be like as another another wife how about her oh wow i kind of mm. you know and my husband's big joke to me was always in the temple you learn that you're not resurrected by jesus christ in mormonism mm. your husband calls your new name and resurrects you right mm -hmm. well my husband always teased me that he was going to forget my new name call other women's names and then he'd have all those women too right in oh, the yeah. next life it was kind of a big joke mm-hmm but these are LDS teachings. It is, mm -hmm. you can go to a Mormon temple now and be sealed to more than one woman. The current prophet's first wife died. He was mm -hmm. sealed to her in the temple, right? Yeah. And then he has a second wife and then he's sealed to her in the temple. He expects to have at least those two mm -hmm. in the next life. I have a sister-in-law who's LDS, who's single, and she expects to be someone's maybe hundredth you know, in the mm. next life. That's just what she looks forward to. But, mm -hmm. but my point about all this is that when a man believes that he can have multiple sex partners at one point, that perhaps fuels for some men a lot of thoughts about sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Utah is the number one state in the nation where people access polygamy. There are all kinds of very interesting statistics. Mm -hmm. And certainly men are going to do that under the table. The Mormon church has known they've had a problem with this for many years. Even when my husband was in leadership positions, they're always talking about, you know, the, uh, the porn problem within Mormonism. Oh, yeah. For, um, in the early 90s, there was actually a memo put out by the general authorities because so many Mormons were into the occult. Mm. And then there was occult sexual abuse. We've actually helped people out of the church who grew up who had been sexually abused within those kind of things. I don't know that they're mainstream. They're in no way mainstream in Mormonism. But the, those things do run through the culture. Mm -hmm. And my brain wonders if they don't come from that teaching that it's a righteous thing, right, mm -hmm. for men to have more than one wife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's super interesting. And, and even looking um, again, where when, even with those thoughts coming in, I think a big thing that I've seen when I talk to a lot of people, even um, so I, uh, we do mission trips out here sometimes with Rosho Christie or something else. And, um, we actually, where we are, um, you know, have a good rapport with some people that do practice, uh, polygamy, um, you know, whether they be in the AUB group or something like that. And, and we'll go, um, and they'll allow us to ask questions. And, um, what's really interesting, I think, is that when you ask them, you know, how did you 
come to this conclusion? How did you get to this point where you believe this is what's true on the earth? You know, this is the, you know, true and undefiled religion. And, and they say it, almost all of them say that they were part of the Latter-day Saint church. You know, the, you know, they, they would say they're an apostasy, but you know, the big Latter-day Saint church and what actually drove them was when, when they were having doubts, what they did was, is they dug deeper into the foundation of Mormonism and they came to the conclusion that the, yes, the, the big church is not doing what Joseph Smith was doing. And so what they, what they do is they go back to the foundation because I, I, I want to make sure for our listeners and any flatter day saints that they're listening or will listen is that, you know, because we can point to things such as, you know, polygamy or um, let's say maybe even like adultery or something like that, where you can see, you can just point the finger and say, well, Christians do that, too. And I think what we need to make sure is, is that the difference would be is that our authority being the Bible says that we ought not do these things, whereas right. for for um, the Latter-day Saint religion, it actually seems like it's, you know, you're supposed to, like you mentioned DNC 132 or something like that. Like, I, I mean, I, I know personal stories of people where their families have d- divorced because the, the man has a dream or a vision and says, you know, I God just told me that I need a second wife, you know, and they're part of the Latter-day Saint church and they think this is what, and, and, they'll, and they'll pull out one Dr. Covenants 132 and say, look, this is it. And so I think, yeah, I think that is a huge implication um, when you're looking at the outworkings of just, you know, what does it actually teach? Not, not just what the people are saying, you know, when right. you, when the missionary shows up or when you um, visit a, 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 you know, award service, but w- what is it actually teaching? I think those are two very, that's a very good distinction that you need to, you know, be aware of. So. And this is not past scripture. This is current scripture. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Doctrine and Covenants 132 um is probably the most damning thing for mm-hmm. the Mormon church. Um, mm-hmm. It says you can become a God, right? It says that, oh, one of the most horrific things in Doctrine and Covenants is that you're made righteous, not by your faith, like Abraham was righteous because of his faith, according mm-hmm. to the Bible. In Doctrine and Covenants 132, um, Abraham was righteous because of his concubines. Mm. So it was this idea of many women in mm-hmm. his life that made him righteous before God. That's anti-biblical, extremely anti-biblical. So, mm-hmm. so here's here's another thing on that topic. Um, you know, for years the Mormon prophets taught that Heavenly Father came down and impregnated Mary in the usual way. Mm-hmm. And that's how Jesus came to be. So that Heavenly Father was literally the father of, of the Jesus on the earth, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I ran into a woman a few years ago who left the Mormon church who said her own father used to sexually abuse her and he Mm. would place his temple recommend on the bed next to her and say, you're a special daughter to me like Mary was a special daughter to Heavenly Father. And we are not doing anything that Heavenly Father did not do with his special daughter, Mary. Mm -hmm. So to me, those are really dangerous Mm -hmm. Um. And socially hard teachings, particularly for the women 
and for the young men who are, mm-hmm. you know, often the victims of these, this kind of hypersexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, even with that story as heartbreaking, like it's just, you know, even just to hear that, but, you know, again, I can, I can maybe see a Latter-day Saint saying, well, in the Bible, those things happen. Right. And, and you, you can look at Noah and, and look at his daughters. But again, I think the difference is, is that that is seen as not good. Now, obviously, a Latter-day Saint would say that is not good. But we have to look at what is what is the world you teaching? It's teaching that the holiest being that we know of being Heavenly Father did do this right for a purpose. Right. And so and so I think that's super important. Um, and so and right before we move on to the next question, I actually wanted to mention, so reading through your section, I thought the point that you made about the LDS church being the one and only true church was a huge um, consequence. I mean, you and Corey Miller talk about it at the end of the book, but how, you know, there's this saying where if the church isn't true, nothing is, right? So when and if a Latter-day Saint comes to the point of this isn't true, then, you know, it, it it's like they throw out religion and Jesus all together and never letting the door open again for maybe a, a true historical Jesus or something like that. And I, and I just want to read um, one, of, one of the lines you wrote here. And you say, when we were LDS, traditional Christians had nothing to offer us. And I think that is super profound reading that after because my wife when she talks when she talks about her testimony she'll say that she's like well well, you know you never consider it because growing up you're taught that you're the best uh, that all of christianity has to offer the latter-day saint church is the best that's what you're taught so why would you ever look anywhere else under that umbrella when you were already at the top and so i'd love for you to comment maybe just a little bit about um, just how damaging it could be to just have that kind of mindset where if it's not us, it can't be anything. Yeah, I I would have said it as a Mormon that we were greaters and you were lessers. And this mm-hmm. is how I would have seen it. As a Mormon, I had three books of scripture that were perfect directly from Jesus to Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. or some of the other prophets, right, mm-hmm. in d But the Bible was corrupt and it couldn't be trusted. So if you're a Christian and all you have is corrupt teaching, and I don't mm-hmm. know when it's true and when it isn't true, why mm-hmm. in the world would I ever come to you for answers? Mm-hmm. So this is what I beg, why I beg... <laughs> Christians have conversations with Mormons, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know that your Bible is reliable. They don't know your Bible has unending physical evidence, Mm -hmm. (laughs) geographical, geological, manuscript, prophecy evidence. It just goes on and on and on, right? Mm -hmm. The Book of Mormon has nothing. Mm -hmm. So... If you look at it, the Bible, 30,000 archaeological digs for the Old Testament alone. And I'll say to Mormon, so tell me about the archaeological evidence for the Book of Mormon. There is none. There's Mm. not one archaeological dig, right? Mm. The manuscript evidence, do you have any original manuscripts? Oh, no, it went back to heaven. Well, how Mm. do you know that? When did it go back to heaven and who took it back to heaven? Okay, but we have 5,800 plus original manuscripts. 
scripts, right? Just, you can just go on and on with the comparisons, but I didn't know any of those things in Mormonism. Mm. And who's going to tell me except the Christians? And I had lots of Christians in my life and no one ever told me. Mm -hmm. I had to learn these things by going on the internet and searching out the Bible Mm -hmm. and figuring out for myself. Whoa, Jesus quoted the Bible all the time. So apparently he trusted, right? Yeah. That's probably the best evidence. And then when I got saved and everything switched for me, mm-hmm. I realized that the power of a changed life, too, mm. is one of the most profound evidences for the God of the Bible. And mm. yet, when do Christians ever open their mouths and tell other people how awesome their God is? Mm. We tend not to sprinkle our conversation with, wow, you know, when I was in prayer this morning, I've been mm. praying about this thing for six months and I had this insight when I was reading this section of Hebrews, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to think those need to be private things. Mm-hmm. But Mormons need to hear those things. Mm-hmm. So here, here are a couple other things I would say on that subject. I always tell Christians, do whatever you can do to get the Mormons into the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit works through the Bible. Have a Bible study in your home. Invite your Mormon mm-hmm. neighbors. Um, just let the Holy Spirit do it, do the conviction. You don't even have to point out differences. They'll, they'll figure it out. Um, I, I often tell Christians as well, pray with your Mormon friends, Mm -hmm. right? And you say, oh God, I'm so frustrated, right? They don't pray like that. They pray, dear heavenly father, this real Mm -hmm. stilted kind of thing. If a Mormon hears a Christian pray, they'll often say, wow, sounds Mm -hmm. like you know him. It sounds like he's real to you. That can be so powerful. And here's a third thing I'll mention. As a Mormon, I didn't have neighbors or church friends I could go to to talk Mm -hmm. about something I was struggling with. Because if I admitted a weakness or a frustration, somebody might run to my bishop. I might get called in. I might lose my temple recommend. And then I I can't live with father in the next life, right? Mm -hmm. So... Everything always had to look perfect on the outside. Mm-hmm. I tell Christians, be a safe place for Mormons to come mm. to tell you their deepest secrets and make it very clear that you won't go anywhere with them. You won't repeat them, that you're happy to hear. And then cathart with them about some things that you struggle with so that mm-hmm. they feel comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. One of the most amazing things about Christian faith is the authenticity mm. of saying, I know I'm a sinner. I'm really lousy at that. I've been, you know, mm-hmm. in Mormonism, I didn't feel I could ever do that. I mm. had to always be um, presented as perfect because mm-hmm. I was striving to to be perfect. And that actually leads us to one of the other social consequences that I think is really important is the difference between believing that salvation comes through grace of this unconditionally loving, amazing, personal God who knows me and is drawing me to faith. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and this very punitive heavenly father who's always waiting for me to screw up. Very different contrast. Um, even now, it's been 16 years, I think, since I left the Mormon church, I still go back into that LDS mindset of I'm not worthy, I'm not working hard enough, I'm not good enough. Um, it's a very dangerous way to think. It's much better to know that God loves me, that he knew I was his from before the foundation of the world, right? That he called me for a purpose, that my life has meaning. Um, it makes everything better emotionally. It makes everything better. And when hard times come, so in Mormonism, Mormonism is prosperity gospel. Book of Mormon says, if you live the commandments, you'll be blessed both temporally and spiritually. So Mike always says, you'll have a fast car and a big house and a nice job and no cancer, right? Well, if any of those things come into your life, and they do all the time, as a Christian, you see them very differently. You don't see them as punishments from God or that you've screwed up. You see them as, okay, God's trying to tell me something, or maybe God's trying to turn me a different direction, or maybe God's doing something here, right? You continually have this positive attitude that you're loved, that this has purpose. Um, rather than it's something that you always have to control to make better. Very different way to live. Oh, I've lost you. Okay. Sorry, I muted myself. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know. I just wanted to even speak on that is that um, you quote this in your book, and I didn't want to flip through the page, but lucky enough, I remembered where you quoted from. And so I just want to share my screen very fast for those that are watching, where when we talk about grace, um, these are two very different um, ideas from Christian and Latter-day Saint, right? So for a Latter-day Saint, or at least, um, you know, like I always say, you know, when, when, you, when you're talking to a Latter-day Saint, always ask them what they believe, because, you know, everyone's going to give a different answer. Christians, they, they will do this too, right? You, you, you never want to just put someone in a box. Um, but when I want to go to what does your religion teach, you know, all you have to do, it's it's convenient that there's an LDS.org to look at. But um, what you can see here is this is the grace definition. So this is the Bible dictionary, grace definition for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And here's what they, this is what grace is for the Latter-day Saint Church. It says, right, this grace is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold on eternal life and exaltation. Um, those two are interchangeable, those uh, kind of words. Um, after they have expended their own best efforts. And then if you go down, it says divine grace is needed, but it says, but however, grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. Hence, hence the explanation, it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. It is truly the grace of Jesus Christ that makes salvation possible. This principle is expressed in Jesus' parable of the vine and the branches. And so, what we can even see here is that grace, for it to work, you need total effort on the part of the recipient. Yeah. Whereas for the Bible, 
And you mentioned this, you mentioned this in your book, right? That in Ephesians, it says we are saved by grace through faith and later goes on to say, this is not of works so that no man may boast. So we just see a complete contrast there. And so that's where the foundation that you just mentioned, where a Christian can always know that they're loved, they're loved, they're loved. Whereas for like a Latter-day Saint, like even in Doctrine and Covenants 95, it says, if you keep not my commandments, the love of the Father shall not continue with you, right? So those are two completely different concepts. And so I love that you just were able to share that and um, just even just get into it a little bit more for us. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it changed yeah. my life. It changed your entire thinking, yeah. right? hundred percent. And I don't think I would have believed it. <laughs> I wouldn't mm -hmm. have believed there was a God that loved me that much, except that he started showing up mm. and doing things that were very personal. Yeah. So were things I was struggling with in my head that I hadn't shared with anybody. And, mm -hmm. and yet God would bring me the answer in scripture or give me an insight in prayer or something. And it started being freaky. I mean, mm -hmm. there were times I was like, okay, that's enough for now. But it's mm. very, it's very real when mm. you begin to trust him and walk out this personal relationship. So I have to apologize because I feel like this has been kind of negative to this point, you know, talking about these mm. negative social consequences mm. of Mormonism. Um these are things I kind of learned after I became saved, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're saved, everything changes. Your mm. thinking changes. I stopped feeling like I was responsible for everything. I started trusting God. Yeah. And rather than putting together lists of 20 things I had to do every day and then being angry when I got to number four and there was an interruption, mm -hmm. Now I just rest in Jesus and he brings it. And then I just step into it. And mm. honestly, I realized from the beginning that if I was scared to step into it, he'd just bring it around again. So there's <laughs> this loving father teaching me mm -hmm. in a way that I then could learn from. So mm -hmm. here's an example just from the last week. Mike and I have been in the RVs since the 1st of May. So two mm -hmm. months plus now. We're driving down some road out in the middle of nowhere in Nevada a week or so ago. And two of our wheels, our two left wheels come off the RV. Wow. My husband's trying to keep control. I'm thanking God we're not on one of those curves with a big cliff mm -hmm. drop-offs, right? Again, immediately now my brain goes, okay, God's up to something rather than going, oh my gosh, I'm hurt. I need to go to the hospital, whatever, you know, rather yeah. than seeing it as a negative thing or a punishment toward me. Now I'm like, okay, maybe God's doing something here. Mm -hmm. Eventually a Nevada highway patrolman comes and the man was wonderful. He spent hours with us trying to solve problems. He eventually took us an hour away to um, a hotel. The next morning, mm. he took us to church. Well, here's the thing. This man had recently been divorced from an LDS wife. He was Christian. Oh, wow. No Christian mentors, really, in mm. his town. He was in a largely LDS town. And yet mm. God loved that man enough, right? 
to send us about the age of his parents right to him to have two days with him. Mm. There was another woman at his church um, who had left Mormonism, but was really confused about doctrine. And she sat with us afterwards, just crying. And I remember thinking, okay, this is going to cost me a lot of money. <laughs> it's a town I probably never would have gone to, mm -hmm. but God brought me here for his purposes. Mm. That wonderful idea that you are saved for his greater plan, for mm. his purposes, right? And then mm. in a lot of ways, I just feel like I'm part of whatever he's doing and I'll, I allow him to do it through me, but mm -hmm. I don't have to necessarily figure it out and check any boxes. Yeah. It's a very different way to live, living in grace. Mm-hmm and not having to live in the works. And yet there are plenty of works for me to do, but the Holy Spirit brings them. I don't have to create them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I even think, like you said, living in grace, right? So the difference between having to earn that or to you know do enough so you that it gets enabled rather than actually living in unmerited favor where God just loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And because of that, he blesses you because he wants to. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, maybe even a good way to put it would be, you know, it's like for his purposes. I love that you said that because it's instead of, you know, it's like the weight being lifted off your shoulders when you realize the world doesn't revolve around you. Mm -hmm. it's, it revolves around Jesus and it's yeah. all for him. But quite literally for a Latter-day Saint, the goal, the ultimate goal is to do good enough to get a world that revolves around you. And so like, think about the pressure of getting to there to getting to that place rather than realizing that the show is about someone completely different, you know? Mm. And even again, when I went to that temple opening and I've talked to Latter-day Saint friends where I've had them say before, like when we think about how, just how amazing Jesus is where they say, where they say, well, you believe that when you die, you'll go to heaven and be with Jesus. And I say, Yes, like that. that's what I'm saying is all you have to do is believe. And then they say, well, but that's it. It's just Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's where that, you know, barrier is where even, you know, Jeffrey Holland, you know, in the in the temple opening video says, you know, heaven is not heaven without my family. And, it, and, and you can see where the focus lies. And, and, and that brings so much more pressure is, you know, I can even think as a male, in that system, like having to make sure my family gets there because I want them, like they all have to reach there, right? That's what they don't tell you is everyone has to reach it. Um, and so- yeah. it, It's right in the missionary manual that they teach you from, Preach My yeah, Gospel. The definition right. of eternal life is yep. not living with Jesus, it's living with your family forever. Yep. So like I said before, it would have been my husband that would resurrect me, not Jesus. He's not really in the equation at all. In fact, Jesus is kind of a lesser, I would say, in Mormonism. He's mm -hmm. the middle kingdom. Jesus mm -hmm. rules over that middle kingdom where Christians like Billy Graham go and Mormons who drink beer. That's the middle kingdom. Yeah. You know, only the righteous Mormons with temple recommends go to the above kingdom. And yet I've done some videos for Trinity 
television that compare Islam and Mormonism. Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of similarities, mm -hmm. right? Um, lots. And one of them is this whole workspace thing. If mm -hmm. I do more good works on the scale than bad, then Allah might mm -hmm. choose to save me in the end. That's Mormonism, too. And that is not biblical faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and so I think that could even bring us to our next question, which is, um, so when we think about the consequences, how helpful do you think it is for someone evangelizing to a Latter-day Saint to know of these consequences, right? So what can that do for someone walking into a conversation with Latter-day Saint, knowing like even just for example, the works-based religion, right? That, hey, they're dealing maybe all the underpinnings they're dealing with this how could that help someone in their conversations this is going to sound counterintuitive because of the conversation we've just had <laughs> but i would never talk to a mormon about polygamy oh, or yeah. about racism or even becoming gods mm -hmm. those are things that are offensive for them to talk about with the outside world mm -hmm. um i might talk to them about grace Mm-hmm. Because Mormons are hypersensitive and they're taught that um, contention is of the devil, it mm -hmm. says in the Book of Mormon, right? So if you present something opposite even what they believe, I would have gone devil, 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 I'm not listening to you, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're talking to Mormon missionaries and you're presenting things that are opposite what they believe, they might just go, I know the church is true. I know Joseph mm -hmm. Smith. Then you know you have shut the door to talking to them. If you're trying to evangelize a Mormon, you're going to have to love them just like anybody else who's out yeah. of Christ. You need to know them. You need to ask them questions. You need to listen to them. You need to walk with them. And it is a long-term thing. Mm. Even as they little by little begin to discover things, it's a process for a Mormon. Our um, The Adams Road Ministry has identified 40 things that Mormonism teaches and then um, they put together all the scripture on each of those topics. So temples, do we need temples today? Here's what the Bible says about right. it. Priesthood, do we need priesthood? Here's what the Bible says about it. So my approach with LDS would just be, let's look at some scriptures and, and I just ask them what they think, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. What happens is I often introduce them to scripture they have no idea exists, right? Mm. Micah often says that before he got saved, he'd never seen Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, saved oh, wow. by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. I don't recall ever reading John 1, 1, which knocked my socks off. Mm -hmm. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word what? Jesus wasn't God from the beginning. He earned his Godhood, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those things that are in the Bible that bump up against Mormonism, mm -hmm. um, we didn't hear in in mormonism so mormons will say to me well it sounds like you say we don't read the bible they do read the bible but mm -hmm. they have very strict curriculum mm -hmm. 
So they'll have a Sunday school manual where they're studying the Old Testament. They're not opening the Old Testament and, and reading whole sections in context. Mm. They are reading what the Mormon church says about that passage, then cherry picking a couple of verses from that passage where the Mormon mm -hmm. church tells you what it says. Mm. In fact, that's kind of what the Mormon church does with the King James Version of the Bible. They publish their own, okay. but they have their own topic headings that don't come from Christianity. They have their own like paragraph explanations that don't come from Christianity. All of their cross references go to other Mormon sources, right? Their footnotes explain those things according to Mormonism. Yeah. Um, so Mormons say they read the Bible, but I never read the Bible in context. I mm -hmm. just had seen certain verses that they told me meant certain things. If you want to, we can go to several of those examples. Um, mm -hmm. The Mormon church has particular ones that they use to yeah. tell you this is what this means. If you read mm -hmm. it in context, that's not what it means at all. Mm -hmm. Well, and even... Like just from you telling that story, I can think of at least two examples where one, if you go to the if you go to the Temple Square and you go to the um, Church History Museum there, um, I've mentioned it before on my channel for those that are listening. But um, right after right the first the very first section you walk into that Church History Museum, it it's the history of the LDS Church it starts with Joseph Smith and his first vision, and then immediately it takes you to this place where it shows you Old Testament. There's these little flip things that you can do. It's Old Testament, New Testament, and then Book of Mormon. And it says God has always used um, basically, you know, devices for revelation. And this is them um, trying to, how do I say, trying to make it seem okay and normal about Joseph Smith using his seer stone. And when you open up that flap, it gives you a scripture. And so you open up the Old Testament, it talks about Leviticus, talks about the Urim and Thummim. And then you mm -hmm. open up, you open up New Testament. It talks about this white stone in Revelation, and it talks about how it's used to reveal things. But then when you actually go to those scriptures, uh, it, it's it's completely different. And what's even crazier is when you open it, it has this, it has the words like it says like this was used for this, like da 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 da, and then it has the scripture under it. And uh, now maybe I'm just misinterpreting, but it makes it look like that's what it's saying. But it's actually that's not the verse that's above it. And so I can see that kind of idea. And even when studying, I look at uh, um, I did I just did something on the great apostasy and I looked up on their sources to find what they say about the apostasy. And I went to a, um, a New Testament uh, seminary manual for when they teach the high school students. And it even tells them like tells the teacher what to write on the board, yes. what questions to ask. And I didn't yeah. know it, I didn't know it was so um just every little detail like even what to write on the board so uh, yeah i had no idea and uh, videos that go along right mm. that you can only see unless you're in mormon seminary so i i taught seminary my husband and i did oh, okay. for several years here was a funny thing about my bishop he called me in mm. said i was going to be called to teach seminary but he threatened me and said this is the manual you will stick to the manual i've already talked to the youth and told them if you don't stick to the manual you'll be done in this wow. calling so that's how serious 
the church took mm. my never opening the old testament when i when i taught it right and mm -hmm. reading anything in context so here's one of the big ones mormonism uses in yeah. ezekiel 37 it says there are two sticks and one hand. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. Mormon Church says those two sticks are the Bible and the Book of Mormon, two mm -hmm. testimonies, testaments of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is read that section. You don't have to read more than you know another verse or two, and it says the two sticks are Judah and Israel, and it mm. talks about the dead bones and how they'll live again. That section yeah. is about Israel mm -hmm. coming back in 1948, right, as a country again and living, living again, um, which <laughs> it has nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. Mm. But if you if you don't read it in context, they can tell you what they say that it, it means and says. And there are so many of those in uh, Mormonism. Mm -hmm. The one about the great apostasy is in Second Thessalonians right. 2, mm -hmm. 3, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, that verse, they've just taken part A of that verse. If you just look at part B of that verse, yep. that's not what it's referring to. It yep. says something like, um, at that day, well, in the scriptures, that day is always the second coming of Christ. Yeah, so um, it says the day of the Lord, right? There will be a falling mm -hmm. away first, right? And... The man of lawlessness will be revealed. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you've got an and. You've got a falling away and mm. the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. So I, I'll say to the Mormons, okay, so do we know who the Antichrist is? Mm -hmm. This is an and. Does that look like those two things happen together? Okay, mm -hmm. well, there was an apostasy, and then there wasn't an apostasy because Joseph Smith brought the church back. Mm -hmm. But we don't know who the Antichrist is yet. I mean, mm -hmm. that's in the very same verse mm -hmm. talking about context and there's so many of those that if mormons would just look at those things look at them in context um it might rock their world yeah mm -hmm. and so and even looking at that like you said you know we've been talking about these um you know social consequences and maybe a little more of the negative side um, now, obviously, there'd be Latter-day Saints that say they've experienced good consequences and good outcomes and whatnot. Um, but, you know, what we're mainly focusing on is what could be the negative outplayings that come from a works-based religion, uh, a religion that teaches you that this is the one and only true church and it, anything that's opposed to it is not true, cannot be true, um, and, and, and more. But looking at more, I guess, of the positive side, so you have, you have a second section in this book. Um, and it's where you and Corey Miller combat against new atheism, right? And, and I begged Corey for this chapter. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted this chapter, but I didn't feel like I was qualified uh, uh -huh. to do it all. So mm -hmm. I did the first section, he did the middle, and I did the end. But oh, there um, you go. This is my favorite chapter in the book, mm -hmm. and my reason for the book. God oh, laid yeah. on my heart. The many people leaving Mormonism and going to particularly the new atheism mm -hmm. and following yeah. Sam Harris and, you know, yeah. almost becomes a religion to them yeah. than just spouting the same things and using the same quotes. And, mm -hmm. you know, thought, wow, this is certainly has its own framework, right? Yeah. Um, but how do you know if it's true? And mm -hmm. then 
trying to get people to rethink those things mm -hmm. and then get them to know enough about the reliability of, of the Bible and yeah. what an experience with the real Jesus is like mm -hmm. that you that you might want to investigate that as an option at some point. And I have talked to a lot, a lot of Mormons who have left, gone to atheism, but then yeah. something will happen in their life. There'll be a divorce or a child will die or something mm -hmm. where, where then all of a sudden you need to cry out and go, wait, is there a God, right? Mm -hmm. Is there any help for this? Mm -hmm. um, and then God comes right back around and um, into their lives and everything changes. The very first person that ever read my book, Unveiling Grace, mm. had left Mormonism, gone to atheism for 20 years. Wow. How funny. The first person to read it and call me up said, if there's a God that can do the things you describe in this book, I'd be willing to give him a try. Mm. Because for 20 years, he left Mormonism and had no idea yeah. what the Christian God was able to do. Mm -hmm. And so that was my heart with that chapter is to give people logical reasons mm. to rethink whether there might be a God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's something even we say a lot here is that, you know, Jesus and Joseph Smith are not necessarily a package deal, right? It now it could it could be the case that Joseph Smith was right. We have to investigate that. We don't believe that's true just by looking at it, right? And so, but it also could be the case that just because he was wrong, let's say Joseph Smith, right? He he's wrong, not a prophet, whether he was lying or mistaken, it doesn't automatically mean that every that jesus isn't who he said he was right that because again like my wife she says the only jesus she knew was the latter-day saint jesus and you go and talk to people on the street here at salt lake city right if you talk to any just you know random homeless man and say do you know jesus whether they say yes or no and you ask them to describe them he's going to describe the latter-day saint jesus because they don't, they've never heard of a different one. So it's important to see that maybe Jesus could still be who he said he was and Joseph Smith not be a true prophet. And so I think that that is, that's why, yeah, I love that section in the book too. And so maybe what you could do is just give one or two quick reasons as to why, even though you left Mormonism, you still believe that God exists. So if you could maybe give one or two reasons why. Although I saw some really bad things in Mormonism, I had a son who came to salvation on his Mormon mission, mm. Micah Wilder. If you want to see his testimony, ex-Mormon, incredible mm -hmm. testimony. It's kind of gone viral, several mm. million hits. Um, that son did one thing, challenged his parents to read the Bible. Mm. He challenged us to read the Bible as a child with no preconceived notions. And I didn't trust the Bible as a Mormon. I didn't want to do it. But because I knew something had profoundly rocked this kid's world, and I loved this kid, I was willing to investigate. And boy, I was not in that Bible very long be 
for I went, this is not the same Jesus, right? This is Jesus was God from the beginning. When he came to earth, he was God. He didn't earn his Godhood, right? How's that the same religion? How's yep. that the same faith? And then I just became enamored by this God of the Bible. Mm. And then he started showing up and that, and that was what made it real. So mm -hmm. one of the questions I kept struggling with as I'm reading the Bible is, okay, I'm reading it. I've given my life to Jesus, but I'm still underground at BYU. I'm still figuring all this out. Mm -hmm. And this, I wouldn't say voice, but this thought kept occurring to me over and over. So are you LDS? Are you still LDS, right? Mm -hmm. If you've accepted the God of the Bible, can you be LDS? Are you still LDS? And I was a chicken, you know. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to go to BYU and tell people or show them the cross that I had on under my clothes. Mm -hmm. I knew I'd lose my job in 24 hours. And I just was not a strong enough, bold enough Christian, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that God can make those things right. Yeah. So... One day, one of Micah's friends came to me, and she was a student at BYU about to enter law school. And she said, you know, I've put law school on hold. I'm going on a Mormon mission. Well, she used to come see me kind of as a mentor. And that question kept rolling through my head. So are you LDS? What are you going to say to her? Are you proud that she's going on a mission? You know, it was mm. as if God was leading me to finally make a hard decision one way or the other mm. and i remember saying well you seem really excited <laughs> you know it was real non-committal mm -hmm. i get in my car i start to go home it's right before easter i stop at a super walmart on my way home to get some um things for easter and i'm in the line and the clerks chat 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 and, and all of a sudden the clerk looks right at me and says so are you LDS? Mm. The very thing God had been asking me over and over the last 45 minutes, I freaked out. But mm. I knew it was God and that I knew I had to come to a final decision. That's just one example out of probably 100, right? Yeah. When I started to read about him, trust him, realize he existed and how amazing he was, he would do the most amazing personal things. When I first, first of all, he gave me a super, he supernaturally gave me a job in Florida, a professor job I never even applied for. Mm. That doesn't happen. You have to have a search committee. It takes a year to get a new job. Mm. This lady calls me up. I'm the dean of the College of Education at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. I have your Vita in front of me, and I'd like to offer you a job. Fall to my knees. I'm new in Christ. I've got the phone up here, and I'm talking to God. It's like, mm. you can even get me a job I never applied for. You know, I guess we're going to Florida. <laughs> but God started doing those things. My very first classes in Florida with my students, one of them found out I was a new Christian. Her dad was a famous Christian painter. He yeah. painted a picture of me surrendered in front of Jesus. And she gives it to me at graduation. I'm wow. just bawling, right? It's not coming for her as I see it. It's coming directly from this God who loves me and wants to make me know that I'm on the right track, right? Mm -hmm. That he's got this, that mm -hmm. 
no matter if I lost 30 years of friends and nobody at BYU can talk to me anymore, <laughs> that it's okay that he, you know, he's got this and it's all for a purpose. And then he started downloading this crazy book, Unveiling Grace, mm. maybe five years into salvation. And it was not something I could not have done. It was a middle of the night kind of. This is the name of this chapter. You need to put this in there. You know, mm. it was, and I knew from the beginning, okay, God's doing something. It has nothing to do with me. He's yeah. using my story as a, as a conduit, right? Mm -hmm. That God is about to be on the move with the Mormon mm -hmm. people. And here's, here's the last kind of uh, miracle I'll say about that one month before unveiling grace came out in uh, hmm. 2013 one month before hans matson general authority for the mormon church over all of europe started questioning his faith went wow. to the 12 apostles of mormonism they couldn't answer adequately his concerns he went to the new york times New York Times did a video with him, and I believe the fact that he was questioning his testimony came out on the front page of the New York Times one month before God published wow. Unveiling Grace. Mm -hmm. Unveiling Grace sold out on Amazon in two days, the entire first printing. Wow. And that began to give me hope that God was at work mm -hmm. with the Mormon people. Oh, yeah. And um, I've seen many, many salvations over the years we've been in ministry, but I see a lot of opposition too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I, and what I want to say is for, for those that are listening, um, we want to do a really quick, short Q&A, live Q&A for those that are listening. So uh, Lynn, I'll ask you one more question that I have. But then after that, um, anyone listening in the chat, if you just want to drop a comment and uh, on topic uh, that we could talk about and answer quickly, that'd be great. But um, I would just love for you to keep, you know, ringing that same bell um, about just how amazing and, and, and how God is working. So you now, right, as a born again Christian, um, you, so you are you're not Mormon, and so your worldview is completely changed. So how has Jesus personally? You've kind of already talked about, but how has Jesus personally relieved you of the consequences that were once a part of your worldview and the way the world that you were a part of? How, how did Jesus change everything in that? If you could just give you know even just another example, I know you've given so many examples, but it's just so good to hear of the continued faithfulness. I had been reading the New Testament um, just obsessively for about 10 months when it was very clear to me this was not the same gospel. This was a different God. This yeah. was a bigger God. I was ready to give my life to him. Mm. I laid face down on a shag green carpet on mm. an October night, gave my life to the Jesus of the Bible. One of the things I noticed was because I'd been in the words so much, my thinking was changing. Mm. So I used to love to get up in the morning and make sure I looked nice and had makeup and you know, appearances were really important. And all of a sudden, all I want to do is read the Bible. Mm. 
Hmm. My husband was laughing. He said, I never got out of bed. I just ate bonbons and read the Bible, uh -huh. which that's not quite true. But um, <laughs> I didn't want to be with the same people. You know, before I loved going to work at BYU, I, I loved that whole Mormon culture thing. And hmm. God just switched me. All of a sudden now, I want to be in Bible study. I'm going to learn from the Christians, right? Hmm. All of a sudden, he just opened my eyes and everything was different. So uh, what I wanted to do with my time was different. Um, who I wanted to be with was different. How I saw the world was so different mm. that I, I'm, I'm pretty good auditorily. Like I can listen to a lecture and remember, but I'm not very good visually. Yeah like my husband, right? All of a sudden, when I got saved, the world became like a 3D, 4K world to me. Yeah. I saw things I hadn't seen before, and I got into photography. It was the strangest thing. I would just see a butterfly and, and see this amazing thing of God, this creation, this mm -hmm. intelligent design, you know? Yeah. Um, everything really, really was different. But it was hard too. The hardest thing was losing all those relationships and all mm. those people I'd loved all those years that now saw me as an apostate and something negative. All for my kids marry into strong LDS families and mm. then they all leave the church and then they're not happy with our family, you know. Mm. Um, but life in Christ, those things are not paramount what's paramount is your relationship with Christ, right? Mm. And the purpose that you feel that he's given you mm. and everything else kind of doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So there recently have been a couple of kind of nasty videos out there. This happens from time to time. And mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, I would stay up all night. It would upset me, right? Yeah. I've totally learned to be neutral. Yeah. Understand where I used to be, understand mm. where those people are coming from, and just mm. pray that God would open their eyes and that they might see my love instead yeah. of um, opposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually, because uh, it's just, I guess it's just coincidence because now I'm a little taken back because um, I was going to mention about like those kinds of things where actually right before we recorded, I saw a video actually responding to one of your other interviews and kind of like a, you know, a debunking kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. um, and I remember, and I was, when I was watching it and obviously you, you get to one point where you're going, okay, like, you know, missing points and all that kind of stuff. There's a huge conversation to be had, but then there's that second aspect where your, your heart just kind of goes, you, you know, when you look where they are, where you are, the worldview is completely different. The beliefs are completely different. And then that's when it really drives you to rely on the, on the one who has the power to do these things, right? Like, yeah. you know, what my one YouTube comment or the God of the universe moving more and more in their life. Right. And so that, so just, I love the emphasis that you've had throughout this entire interview, I would say of just emphasizing prayer, right? Because there, there is something to be said about us. You know, we're just us. Even like, you know, Peter, when he shows up to Cornelius and they bow down at his feet, he says, hey, I'm, I myself am a man, right? There's, there's only so much a man can do, but what can the God of the universe do? 
um, and that's draw people to himself. And so we just pray for those people. And, and, I, and so I love that you say that because this isn't supposed to be contentious um, to Latter-day Saints in the sense of we're not attacking the characters, we're not attacking the people. What we want to do is talk about the ideas and love the people, right? You know, people are not ideas. We have ideas and let's talk about them. And so I just think that's great. So as I look to the side here, oh no, yeah, no, give a follow-up on that. Well, and and often God is doing something good in that, right? Yes, so when yes. I was Mormon, I would have seen that as a bad thing if mm. someone came after me, attacking me. Now my brain's always going, well, maybe God will do something with that, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe through their researching or whatever in trying to debunk me, they'll learn something that will help them move ahead. So mm -hmm you learn not to see things personally or yeah. dislike people personally. Um, mm. And all, oh, I try to be so gracious, but I'm a human too. And I have strong feelings. I know about certain things and, mm -hmm. and I, and I still, it's still hard for me to be in Utah. I'm in Utah right now. Oh yeah. Um, I realize I have some deep seated emotional stuff by, you know, the rejection that happened to me once we left the church and, mm. um, I'm fine most of the time, but I, I admit that God's still working with me. Mm -hmm. And and again, that just comes back to though, that though we struggle, we have a God who loves us. Right. And mm. we can talk about these things to where you can even say that online. Right. And so um, and he can make good of them and right? he can make exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's just amazing. So I'm looking off to the side, no live comments. I mean, I, I had one question before this started someone gave us and it was just about you know if i guess so if you could give one piece of advice to someone that's talking with their latter-day saint friend who doesn't know that that who thinks they're the exact same what's one thing maybe that they could do or you know put into practice that could maybe help that conversation i would open the door by asking this question, do you mind if I ask you a question about your faith? Hmm. So Mormons love to talk about their faith and mm -hmm. they often think, well, you might be interested in my faith, right? And you are as a Christian. Um, do you mind if I ask you a question about your faith? And then if hmm. they say yes, you can ask anything you want. So in the Old Testament, God had temples, but there was only one in Jerusalem, right? But you guys have 180. So explain to me like when that changed, mm -hmm. why that is. There's so many things you can do with the Socratic method, just yeah. using questioning. I think questioning is non-confrontational. It's It can be sincere, right? Mm -hmm. um, even with my book, Unveiling Grace, uh, people say, oh, I want to give it to my Mormon friend. And I said, <laughs> well, they won't want to read something they consider apostate. Yeah. But this is what you might do. Give it to them and say, I just heard this lady speak or, you know, I've encountered this lady on YouTube. She wrote this book. I read the book. Do you mind reading it and telling me, is this what you believe? Yeah. Right. Is this accurate? Mm -hmm. Is this lady off a rocker? If you ever want to talk about your faith, you know, anything mm -hmm. that will open the door to people sharing their deepest faith experiences with you so that you can have a conversation and you yeah. never, you don't have to refute Mormons at all. All you mm -hmm. have to do is 
offer this amazing God yeah. who has done these very awesome supernatural things in my life. Mm -hmm. I even experienced a healing once mm -hmm. so that I could tell someone about that. A Mormon might go, whoa, in their own brain. Holy Spirit doesn't work outside of Mormonism. Yeah. Just planning that idea, right? How mm -hmm. awesome this God is, how much evidence there is, what he's capable of doing. And you do that through personal narrative story. Mm -hmm. Mormons are very good with testimony. Christians aren't often as good telling who you are before Christ, after Christ, why you chose Christ. Mm -hmm. um, we need to be more articulate about those things. I used to be a... A very quiet, compliant Mormon woman, and then God thrusts me into, into the book and ministry. And I've learned yeah. I just have to be bold, but kind, right? Mm -hmm. But not step back from what I I know to be true in my own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I just want to even give a testament. So uh, actually, Jolene, um, you know, my yeah. mother-in-law and James's wife. So she actually gave a question. So I'm just going to bring it on the screen real fast, but. While I do that, I want to say she actually, Jolene here, is actually a tes testament to what you just said, where even just thinking about healing, she met a Christian by God's providence, met a Christian. Mm. And um, and then she would the woman she met would just talk about these healings and these miracles that God was performing. And for her and my wife, Rinsley, it, it like it rocked their world. They were like, whoa, whoa. Uh, we don't see anything like this. I've never heard of anything like that. And that that's what God used to really bring them to even just looking at this kind of stuff. And so it's just amazing to see all the different ways that God can do that. So this is Jolene. So this is what she says. She said, I was LDS all my life, became a born again Christian about seven years ago. My question is, um, if you have seen that many LDS have left the church, I'm guessing she's asking, do you do you see them having that they usually have to go through a season of healing? And maybe a second question to that would be, how could one help in that? Oh my gosh, absolutely a season of healing. Jolene, you probably know from my book, mine lasted a good five years before I was even stable again. I mean, mm -hmm. I literally people would look at me and I'd burst into tears. I was such a wreck mm. when you leave mormonism your entire identity is lds mm. and so you're not just leaving a, a faith tradition you've lost your entire identity you've lost your job your home your neighbors <laughs> you know all your activities during the week everything changes and so christians often don't understand this about mormons who come to christ it's like you give your life to jesus you should just move ahead Mm -hmm. No, it's very, it's a very difficult process for most Mormons, I would say. And part of that process is because Mormons use the same words that Christians use. Mm -hmm. Now Christians are using these words, but in your head, you're thinking the Mormon definition, yeah. <laughs> definition of mm -hmm. like grace, right? An enabling mm -hmm. power weight. They're talking about a, an unmerited favor. I don't know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. Took me five years of being in the word to sort out all those doctrinal differences and what's true. And I don't know what's true. And I don't yeah. know who I am in Christ. Even my husband and I, who've now been married almost 49 years, our marriage went through this. I don't know if I'm not supposed to be submissive to you or mm -hmm. if that has a different 
meaning in Christianity. I don't even know what to do in marriage. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Everything, everything changes. And they want to talk to somebody typically who's been there, done that, which is mm -hmm. why we get so many calls because there are lots of us in our ministry. We even have a, a former polygamist in our ministry. Right. Mm -hmm. So, People talk to us because they know we'll get where they've been. And sometimes I think God took me through five years of the most horrific yuck. Mm -hmm. So that when I got to ministry, I would have a heart for people who were struggling. Mm -hmm. I have people that have called me for seven years and still not come to Christ. Mm -hmm. It's such a process mm -hmm. for the Mormon brain to sort these things out and really only getting into the Bible. Mm -hmm. Do you find healing and learn a new truth? So from my um, emotional and behavioral disorders, I would say that Mormons leaving go through the stages of grief. You're grieving your old life. It's like a death or a divorce, something mm -hmm that you're leaving behind and then you have to rebuild and move on. And one of those stages is anger. And that's a normal stage. Most mm -hmm. people leaving Mormonism go through that. And I would say those who go to the new atheism or agnosticism afterwards get stuck in that angry stage sometimes for years. Yeah. I want my tithing back. I want a lawsuit. I, you know, mm -hmm. but what I find is when you get into the Bible, you learn a God of grace, you feel that you're loved, you're able to give love and forgiveness and mercy to other people. Mm -hmm your entire personality changes, right? And when mm -hmm. you begin to know who you are in Christ. So absolutely, it's very, very tough, Jolene. I, and here I am, like I said, at the 16-year part, knowing I'm still struggling with certain things. I have a daughter-in-law who two years ago, she and I started listening to a Christian counselor podcast on spiritual abuse because we realized even after all these years we still had things that were hanging on that we kind of hadn't dealt with or um didn't feel like we're completely healed it's almost like there's a death and that death never leaves you the rest of your life it does get better you know mm -hmm. but um so, yeah, you're grieving your old life and learning mm -hmm. a new one, but they need lots of love and support and a Christian to walk with them and pray with them and be there and just let them cathart verbally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so and, and even just ending on that note, like you said, um, I kind of have to do my daily plug for people that, hey, if you're a Christian and trying to figure out where you might want to do ministry, Think about Utah. We have a lot of people, like Lynn said, a lot of people leaving the LDS church. Mm -hmm. And so now it's a matter of, are they going to go into nothingness or is there going to be at least one Christian there to be there for them when they're, when they have yeah. such a, a, a monumental breakdown of their worldview. And so um, that's my charge is that it, I mean, we're, we're not short on spots. Yeah. Come to Utah, do ministry care about your Latter-day Saint friends. Um, the, the, uh, these things matter, not just right now, but for eternity. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, so I guess in closing, uh, why don't you just let people know where can they find your stuff? Where can we find where you're working, what you're doing? Um, just tell us a little bit about how, for my listeners, how they can follow up with you. 
Our website is unveilingmormonism.com. The name of our ministry is Ex-Mormon Christians United for Jesus. We have a number of books. We have a YouTube channel. Um, our podcast, it looks like it has about 150,000 followers now. Wow. So I'm guessing a lot of those are transitioning Mormons. I'll have a lady called me up last fall, said I'm on episode 219. I've been listening for two weeks. Wow. So what happens is once they uh, begin the transition, mm -hmm. then they're just aching to find someone else. They think they're the only one, you know, and then they mm -hmm. get to listen to all these people's stories and it gives them hope. So the Unveiling Grace podcast, mm -hmm. of course, our son's ministry, his book, Passport to Heaven and Adam's Road Ministry dot com. Um, mm -hmm. Just Google Lynn Wilder. You'll find all kinds of all kinds of things. Um, God is good. And I recommend him to every Mormon alive that you might know who he is and that he might be the Lord of your life. Mm, yeah. Amen. So um, for those, I'll, I'll have those links in the description. Um, I, I have right now unveiling grace, uh, the unveiling grace podcast. Um, I'll add Adam's road. So after this, um, if you're watching this and it's not right now, that will be down there and you can click that. Um, uh, Lynn, I just want to thank you again so much for coming and talking of just about your work and all that God's doing and, and, and what he's done and what he will do. I mean, um, it's just amazing. And so um, for everyone, I, I just want to close in like fashion with a Bible verse. And for this, I will use John three sixteen. I haven't said this one in a while. So uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, believeth in him, should not perish, but have ever lasting life. This has been Came Under Christ, and thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you.